Today we are Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to say a quick word of prayer and we'll dive in. Father, we invite your presence. We thank you that you are here. Now, Lord, help our hearts to receive what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 568. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's word. As we've been talking about union with Christ, that idea really encapsulates what it means to be a Christian. You think about, um, Paul never actually uses the word Christianity or Christian in any of his letters. And so it, it encapsulates all that we become. And as he's sharing here, um, it, it reminds me when we think about medical conditions, how important a proper diagnosis is. When it was 2019 and my family and I were in New York City, uh, our third child, Maddie, many of you heard the story, but <clears throat> just a, a slightly different facet of it, for eight continual days, consecutive days, she was having a fever, I think of 103, 104, severe headaches, Intense screaming in pain. I mean, so much so that her siblings just, I mean, we were all um, at a loss. Uh, it was, I, I actually remember one, one, in, one of those nights, I took Joe and Abby out to the car because we just couldn't handle it anymore. And we were all sobbing. And I think for several of those days, we were going into the pediatrician office, and we loved our pediatricians, and they were excellent. And they kept trying to figure out what was going on. And they were, maybe it's this. And they were doing tests and they were, you know, running. And they couldn't figure it out for eight consecutive days. And finally they said, go to the pediatric ER at Mount Sinai. And, and thankfully, right away, they figured it out. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And surgery was ensuing uh, just a few hours later, emergency brain surgery. But the... The diagnosis had to be right in order for the treatment to be applied. 
the right treatment. And as we think about the human condition, we need a proper diagnosis to fully understand and embrace what is the proper treatment for our condition. Today's title is True Freedom in Jesus Christ. And there are three points here Paul is making. Number one, our cosmic condition. Our cosmic condition. And secondly, God's cosmic grace. God's cosmic grace. And lastly, our freedom in his grace. Our cosmic condition, God's cosmic grace, our freedom in his grace. Let's talk about our condition. And I'll show you what I mean by cosmic here in a moment. Sandy Lou just mentioned shooting, violence. And on the one hand, it's a very extreme incident that happens in, in a sense that the people who do that, that's extreme evil, right? And whenever it happens, um, and it happens so often, the thing that we're asking is why, right? You know, so on, a, on the one hand, you know, there, if, if, especially when, if, if a shooter ends up either taking his own life or his life gets taken and, and you know, the, the, the authorities trying to protect from further violence, we're always wondering, okay, why did he do it? What led him to do it? And, and then sometimes it's like, well, obviously, well, not sometimes, always, obviously, this person is responsible for these actions. But then there's sometimes when we're thinking about his past, and we say, well, okay, he was bullied, right? So there's a sense of he was a victim. Or in some of the cases, you know, he was an incel, which is this group of men who think that women are their problem. And so therefore, they have this rage um, or some other incident or some other upbringing or whatever it is. But we're trying to figure out why. But here's what I would propose to us. Those are good questions. But why do any of us do what we do? What leads us? Why do we, why do we self-medicate? Why, why do we spend hours on the weekend vegging on Netflix? Why do we make impulse buys to assuage the inner pain that we're trying to ignore? Why do we put up walls or false fronts to not allow people to see who we really are? Why do we hide behind our degrees and our resumes? Why does any of us do what we do? Or to put it in a summation, what is really broken about the world? What is our real condition? And there's lots of people who are trying to answer this question. Um, I mean, certainly go on Twitter. Either you have a lot of answers there. Oh, it's this person, this group's fault. No, it's that group's fault. That's what's wrong with the world. You know, there are some that, you know, in, even politically, there's, you know, on one side, there's a sympathetic to, well, it's all personal responsibility. That's what's wrong. If we were just to fix everybody, okay, you just need to be not lazy and, you know, everything will be fine. On the other side, um, there's more sympathetic to, or systemic, you know, there's cultural, imp it's, there's pressure. And if we can deal with the systemic pressure, then everything will be fine. You know, in one sense, we're, personally responsible, and in another sense, we're victims. And then there's those that would say, well, you know what, actually, if I could just get around some good energy, if we all just get around good energy, you know, there's just the spiritual force pressing us down. If we could all just sort of 
get a spirit guide or have good energy, you know, then, then life will be better. Are our problems ultimately driven by personal internal forces? Is our condition ultimately sociological, where it's the pressure from the outside and we're mostly victims? Or is it spiritual? Is there just the evil behind the evil? The evil behind the mass shooter is just, it's just a, a peek into the evil behind all of activity in the world. Which one has the most credibility? Well, the Apostle Paul says, actually, all three of these is what makes up our condition. And therefore, that is why it is cosmic. You see what he says in verse 1. He says, really a heading, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then he goes and he breaks that down into three categories. He says, number one, verse two, in which you once walked following the course of this world. That's the sociological. That is the, the victimization, the course of this world, or the peer pressure, or whatever you want to call that. The course of this world. That's the... The cosmic nature. It, your sin is not just you. It is also the environment that you're living in that is a part of the cause. And then secondly, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Just to clarify, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about this hierarchical uh, kingdom of evil in which Satan is reigning. And that is the evil behind the evil and so, therefore, our sin is even connected to that. So, it's, it's, it's the sociological, it's the demonic. But then lastly, in verse 3, he says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's our own passions. It's internal. And, and, and the word passions there. Uh, epithumeo. Uh, there's an uh, author who's a Christian psychologist, um, David Pollison, and he talks about the, the motif, the, uh, the idea of idolatry that is spanned throughout the, the, the canon, Old Testament and New Testament. And we see it very um, vividly in the Old Testament, all the idolatrous practices. But in the New Testament, this word actually is is kind of a stand-in for the idolatry of our heart, the idols of our heart, the epithemeo. So, so the passions of our flesh is really the idols of our heart, and therefore our cosmic condition is comprised of the things that we desire and the way of the world that we fall into or are victimized by and the spiritual activity. I'll give you an example of how this can play out. Uh, a few years ago, when my family and I used to live in New York City, we were doing ministry, and we, part of our ministry, or a significant part of our ministry was to college students. And there was this one young woman who was attending a very prestigious, high-caliber institution. And her friends reached out to me. I remember I was sitting in a staff meeting and had a Blackberry, you remember those things? So they sent me an email, because that's the fastest way you get in touch with anybody. Um, and they were like, you know, there's something really going wrong with, you know, this, this girl, and can you come? And so anyways, I end up on campus, and so I'm, t I'm talking to her, and I knew in the background there was an eating disorder um, that is, you know, it's already been established. 
And she's, I'm, so I'm like, okay, what's going on? What's wrong? And so she said, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm having, I've been having issues. I've, I, I've been, I don't like how I, how I look. But then she's like, well, I've, I've been taking this, I've, I've taken a bunch of pills recently, and I, and I think it was um, pain pills that she had taken. This was a bad situation. What was her condition? What was going on there? You know, on the one hand, you could say, well, she took the pills. That was her decision. You know, or you, you, and on a deeper level, it's like, well, the, whatever the, this sort of image that she was aspiring towards, well, that was her aspiration. That was her desire. That was her flesh, right? But on the other hand, if you, if you dig into, well, the environment that she was in, it was high pressure, super high pressure. I mean, constant performance evaluation, constant feedback, constant, well, you just, okay, try again. Oh, next week, try again. Not quite. Okay, here's, let me critique that. Constant. You look at the larger environment, well, body image issues. Look at the way our culture portrays beauty. I mean, think about the images of models and actors you ever notice, like, if you watch a, I don't know, whatever show, it's like everybody's a size zero on the show? Like, what's up with that? And then, you know, if you ever see the, the sort of, like, top of the, top of the echelon models, it's a certain body type. It's like, is that even healthy? Um, but that's what we broadcast as beauty. That's the environment. That is the course of the world. And then, of course, there are the lies of darkness that originate in the enemy, in Satan and his kingdom, that she was being told, you're insufficient, you're not good enough, you don't measure up. If you're going to make it, you need to work harder, you need to do more, you need to produce more. Do you see how this works? This is our condition. You see, if we're going to have freedom, we need to have a proper diagnosis. It cannot be an incomplete diagnosis. We can't just say, well, it's just behavior, right? Or you can't just say, it's just society, and you just need to break through society, and you'll be fine, and forget about the guilt that you feel. We can't just say, no, it's, it's, it's all spiritual, and if you can just connect into the spirit realm, it'll take care of all your problems. We have to have a proper diagnosis. It's our cosmic condition. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that each of us, we worship idols instead of worshiping God. That he says you follow the course of the cosmos instead of following the course of God, the cosmos being the world, the world system, the coercive, coercive way of the world. And he says you're mastered by another instead of serving God as master. Well, that leads us to our second point. God's cosmic grace. As bad as the condition is, the grace of God is so much greater and sweeter. The, the gravity of the human condition is met immediately by one of the most helpful phrases in Scripture. But God. But God. Being rich, verse 4. In mercy, because of the great love with, what, with which he loved us. 
First of all, Paul sets up an amazing contrast. He says that we were ones being dead. If you look in the original language, it's, it's the, he's using a participle, uh, describing a way of being. You were being dead in your trespasses and sins. And then in verse 4, he says, God is one being rich in mercy. You and I dead, God rich in mercy. He contrasts us with God. Mercy means that God does not give you what you deserve. You see, because the human condition, the, this cosmic condition, is it's more than us doing self-destructive behaviors. It is a full turning away from God. Therefore, and that is why Paul says, you were along with the sons of disobedience. You were children of wrath. In other words, it's not just self-destructive behavior. You've turned, you've, humanity has turned its back on God. The world has turned its way away from God. Humanity turns, we turn our, our back on God in the desires of the flesh, the things that we put in place of God, the things that we say, well, if I just had that, everything else will be okay. And certainly Satan has turned his way, his back on God. So we're in a completely, um, in one sense, coherently disobedient environment or structure uh, of turning away from God. Yet God doesn't give us what we deserve. You see, because we chose other gods instead of him, because we were following the way of the coercive disobedience of the world and serving another master instead of him, we should have wrath. But he gives you mercy. He gives me mercy. And what's so amazing about this is we talk about union with Christ. It wouldn't be complete or right to say God accepts you as you are. That's not complete. God accepts you in Christ. That's how his mercy is made available to you. It is in Christ. Again, union with Christ. We've, we talked about the idea. Jesus says, <clears throat> you know, for example, in John 15, I will abide in you. You will abide in me. We look at the New Testament. It's I am in Christ, but Christ is in me. It's, that's the mystical union, this union with Christ. God accepts you in Christ. How does he do that? Why does he do that? Well, he does it because Jesus Christ is the one who didn't worship idols, the only human who didn't worship an idol but worshiped the Father exclusively. He didn't follow the course of the world but followed the path of the Father. His only master was God in heaven. He bore the curse that you deserved. He absorbed the wrath that was awaiting you. And it is finished. God's solution for you doesn't simply give. Here's what's interesting. God's solution for you, it doesn't simply give into. It's not just God accepting you for who you are. It doesn't even, it doesn't give into the soul's lust for acceptability and worth in and of itself. But instead offers us a different center of gravity. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Union with Jesus.
That's why we need Jesus to set us free. We were dead in sin. He made us alive. We were following the way of the world. Jesus overcame the world. You and I were mastered by Satan. He sits on the throne with his enemies under his feet. He's the only human ever to live, the, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the only human to ever live freely on earth, and he offers that to you. What's amazing about what Paul describes about God's cosmic grace, and it's cosmic in this way, Paul has to make up words to even describe it. They're not found in classical Greek before, before this. He says that you were made, he made us alive in verse, in verse 5. Made us alive together with Christ. That made us alive together with, that's one word in the Greek. He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6. He raised us up with him. And thirdly, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. I was recently reading, uh, or actually Maddie was reading to me, um, one of her readers for, for school. And I don't remember the story, the, the title. But the girl in the story was sitting with her dad in a cab in London. This is the time it was long ago, so it was a stagecoach. She's sitting in a cab in London, and she is imagining being back in India with him, where they had just come from, and also being on a ship with people from India. And she was reflecting in that moment how she was both, she was at the same time in London and in her mind in India and on a ship. You see, at the same time that we are here on earth, that you as a believer in Jesus Christ are here on earth, you are seated with him in heaven. What does that mean? It's not just that Jesus is taking a rest and he has a comfy chair. That is a place of authority. His enemies are under his feet. And so, that, so while you are susceptible to and sometimes and often oppressed by the spirit realm, Jesus is sitting ruling over that, and he has seated you with him. This is the freedom. This is, this, this, is, this is the cosmic grace in that we are with Christ, alive with him, raised with him, seated with him. That is our union with him. And leads us to our last point. Freedom in his grace. Freedom in his grace. After Paul juxtaposes our cosmic condition with God's cosmic grace. He shows us what freedom is intended to be. In verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, which is really a summary of what he had just said. And it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. He's making this very plain. You were dead. You weren't just like hurting and Jesus came to help you. You were dead and Jesus made you alive. Not as a result of works, verse 9, so that no one may boast. And this is sort of the conclusion of what the point of it all is. For we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. In other words, this whole idea of being set free is to be lived out in this lifetime. Yes, there is much to come in the next, in, in heaven and when Jesus returns in the new heavens and the new earth. But in this lifetime, to live out being created for good works in Jesus Christ that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. When Becca and I were on a, our anniversary trip, uh, we were doing an audiobook in the car. We do this when we travel with the kids. Um, but we were listening, uh, in the book we were listening to, there was a reference to uh, a quote from Madonna from 1991 in an in a interview with a, a magazine. Madonna, of course, because you know what, there's probably people in this room who have no idea who she is. <laughs> she was a pop star icon of the 80s and 90s, and you know, it's probably disputed when that stopped, but here's what she says. Which, oh, let me just say this other piece. She was one who was known for pushing the envelope or even redefining where the envelope was uh, in her whole presentation. But here's what she says. We're talking about what does it mean to really be free, right? Well, well actually, let me just, just set this up further. We think of in, our, in our, one of our cultural narratives, present day, is to say, okay, everything that's wrong with the world is society and its norms. If you could just identify who you really want to be and push against that, you'll be free. That's our cultural narrative. Okay, now let's listen to this, what Madonna says. She says, I have an iron will. And all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think, I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. What is she saying? She says, I'm not free. I, am a, I have a master. She's saying, see, our cultural narrative says, if you could just ignore, it, first of all, it's too narrow in its definition of our condition. It says all, all wrong is sociological. If you can ignore the pressures of society and the voices and the standards and just identify who you are, you'll be free. I think Mandana did that probably better than anybody else before anybody else was even do, or trying to do it. But what is she saying? I'm still a slave. I'm not free. It's this... For one who presented herself as this beyond the norms individual, I don't care what anybody thinks, do you, do you see what she just says? She is desperately caring what everyone thinks. I don't want to be mediocre. Even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. What does that mean? I care a whole lot about what everybody else thinks of me. So much so that I have to keep proving it over and over 
and over and over. That sounds a lot like being mastered. You're a slave. That is the human condition. And in seeing that, I mean, ultimately, I have a sense of compassion. Like, yeah, that is, that is what life is like outside of Jesus Christ. You would think that pushing past norms meant that she was free of the coercive course of the world, but no, no, no. She's still very much in it. Jesus Christ offers, offers us true freedom. And I want to share just briefly as I close here about myself, but I want you to be thinking about, well, what does this mean for you? You see, I would say in my upbringing, I grew up, part of my environmental pressure was to strive for approval. And there's a lot of ways that I could manifest that. It's by perfectionism. It's by whatever I try, do it well. It's by discipline and hard work to strive for approval. Internally, that just striving for approval and desiring to please, especially in authority, is really an idolatry, right? It's saying that's most important in my life. If I just have that right, everything else will be right, right? It's choosing that rather than choosing God. And I grew up a Christian, right? So this is just, this is not me as a non-Christian. This is me as a believer. And fast forward as an adult, I had a supervisor, and I'm into ministry, by the way, um, just to clarify. I, have a, I had a supervisor who had a very intimidating, charismatic persona. And for somebody who is a fear of man, a desire for approval, that becomes a daunting relationship because um, of the, the manner by which, you know, he carried himself, you could never really measure up. You know, there's this sort of niche personality or persona you have to become in order to fit within the system or to be the sort of poster child of the system, and therefore, you never feel like you measure up. And so I was in this constant cycle. Well, actually, then there's the demonic, right, or the, the, the sort of spiritual pressure of wanting me to be mastered, wanting me to feel like I'm the carrot is here and I'm always not there. I'm always never arriving. I'm always striving but always falling short and feeling shame and failure and all that. And so this is my adult life. Again, I am a Christian and also I'm in ministry, all right, just to clarify. Um, and, and, and also I would add, you know, the enemy would want me to trust in my ability to overcome this whole rhythm. But... The rhythm would consist of this, desire to please, recognizing there's the carrot in front of me. I feel that my future is attached to how well I perform in the system and for this individual, that if I don't, then my future is closed off to me, or at least not as promising as it should be or could be, that I have to push. It requires, in order to do that, I'm pushing past boundaries. It's impacting my marriage. Because I have to say yes over here, and I'm sorry over here. It leads to this cycle of feeling like, oh, I'm a failure because I didn't hit that sweet spot of whatever the image was being projected, or both from my heart and also externally. And then it ends in shame, right? Because I didn't do it. And it's a cycle that just keeps going and going and going. But I am grateful 
for the power of God. This whole passage, by the way, that we read today is really, in one sense, Paul expositing his whole, what he had just said, what we talked about last week. The power of God has been manifest in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is manifest in you, and you were dead in your sins and trespasses and et cetera, et cetera, but God's mercy came to you and made you alive. God's power. And I am grateful that in relationship and in community, certainly with my wife and her promptings and proddings and prayers and persistence, um, that the Lord began to heal me of this cycle and the idolatry and the mastery to where I realized that I had to desire, I, the desire to please, I had to crucify so that I could be free to be my true self. I'm not existing to please another person. I'm existing to please God. That the Lord could heal me that from the lie that my future was attached to how I performed for an individual. I had to die so that I could put my future in God's hands and trust him as the provider. And he healed me from the shame of not measuring up because I began to realize my identity, even in this realm, had been in this whole cycle of performance and approval seeking. And Jesus was attaching my identity more and more into him. An identity, by the way, unlike what, my, what Madonna was saying, this identity that I, I made of myself, that I had to achieve, I realized, no, I have an identity in Christ that I have received. It's the only identity that's received that's not achieved. And therefore, I can walk in freedom and do more of the good works that I was created for in Christ Jesus. And so let me ask you, brother or sister, how about you? What is God putting, what is he saying to you? What is he saying to you about being mastered? Can you identify areas of your life, your heart, where you've, you've propped up an idolatry, an idol, and that's the thing that's driving you? You feel that you resonate with what Madonna is saying, and I'm, I'm being driven by or, or whatever the case may be. There's good news for you, friend. God is rich in mercy, and his cosmic grace brings you true freedom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your desire to transform our hearts and to heal us from our own destruction, the destruction of the world and the destruction of Satan is so much greater than our even desire to be free. And I pray, Father, that you, as we <clears throat> study together union with Christ, that you would make this clearer and clearer and draw us nearer and nearer to you. In your name we pray. Amen.